0: Welcome to the Inside Aesthetics Podcast. We host real conversations with real experts from around the world. Away from the filtered bubble of social media, our aim is to educate listeners and explore any topic in the cosmetic and wellness space. We also get a unique insight into the business minds of the entrepreneurs and
1: pioneers who have helped shape our industry. This podcast and its related publications provide news and general information about procedures and products. You should seek professional medical advice and assessment before considering any treatment.
0: Hello, David. How are you today, mate?
1: <laughs> I'm getting there. We're, we're surviving um, the crisis day at a time.
0: Yeah. So we're recording this. So uh, what's today's date? It's the 2nd of April today. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're one week after our big candid chat in episode 54. Um guys we've decided to mix things up a little bit partly through circumstance of not being able to see guests in person partly because we actually want to try and reach out to you guys and give you more for your quarantined boredom so i think we've got five older episodes that we've already recorded that haven't released yet so what we're going to do is publish those every friday until we run out of them so i think we've got five And then in between those and after those have run out, we will use Zoom um, conversations with guests who we're going to reach out to either in Australia or around the world. It does give us the opportunity to speak to different people.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So we're just going to, as you said, maintain our regular Friday podcast, which will be in the same vein as all of our other previous IA podcasts up until this point. But we're going to be trying to, as much as we can, talk to relevant guests around the world to, I guess, keep us up to date with with what's going on with the coronavirus as well. So you'll be getting a little bit of old AI mixed in with new relevant AI concerning what's going on around the world at the moment.
0: I think you mean IA.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah sorry yeah
0: <laughs> We should, yeah, maybe, maybe that works better. Um, so we do apologize in advance if the sound quality of our Zoom conversations is not optimal. Uh, we've played around with the technology for a couple of podcasts already. We've recorded two just this week. It's usable. Uh, it's not perfect on the ears, but the main point is that you guys get something to listen to that's interesting, relevant, and hopefully educational still.
1: Yeah, so something is, is better than nothing and we're all making allowances and doing the best we can with what we've got at the moment. So if we've got to reduce the sound quality a little bit, we thought, hey, um, it's better than nothing and let's just keep things going and keep people engaged and interested and entertained in this really trying period.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, we, (laughs) I know this is going to change, but we're going to try and pump out two a week. (laughs) So the midweek one, probably on a Wednesday, will be, well, for now, the Zoom one. The Friday one for the next five weeks will be the good quality older recorded ones and then we'll see where we go from there.
1: And then hopefully um, we're crawling out of this crisis fairly soon and things can return to normal. Absolutely.
0: So today's episode is with Professor Glenn Calderhead. He's an absolute legend and this was recorded on March the 7th last month. Enjoy. Our guest today is Professor Glenn Calderhead, the Vice President of Medical and Scientific Affairs for Lutronic. Neutronic are a leading innovator in medical laser and light technology. Professor Calderhead now lives and works in South Korea. He has unparalleled experience in the field of
1: phototherapy, using the medium of light energy to treat the body. In this fascinating discussion, we learn how Professor Calderhead fell into his specialty by accident and how it led to him developing the Healight2, the world's most used LED light device. Good morning,
0: Professor
2: Calderhead. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Absolutely, my pleasure, and do please call me Glenn.
0: Glenn, okay, well, perfect. We're all friends now. <laughs> so, Glenn, you're here in Australia for the Cosmeticon conference, which is happening here in Double Bay in Sydney. Yes. Can you just tell us what your own role is at the conference, and then we can obviously go into your background? Why are you here? What are
2: you going to talk about? Well, um, I have two functions at the conference. I, I'm invited as a podium. Uh, speaker for for two talks. One was yesterday, another is today. But I'm also here on behalf of Lutronics distributor, uh, Advanced Cosmaceuticals, Uh uh, and they have a a stand at the exhibition in the conference. So I go to the stand and answer questions, uh, comments, whatever, from anybody who's interested in the systems that they have on display perfect so it's it's um it's a sort of multiple uh task type attendance yeah now i've
0: done some research and i have spoke to lots and lots of people and you're very very warmly spoken about you seem to be uh everyone's friend and everyone respects you and you've been around (laughs) probably longer than all of us so (laughs) tell us about your journey into uh well Lasers and lights. Oh, that you're you're the you're the light man.
2: Well, it's it's one of these um, stories of of many instances of serendipity. Yeah. Uh, basically, my training is as a pathologist, and in seventy six nineteen seventy six, um, I was sent to Japan to study forensic pathology for six months. The first lecture was on the use of the green band of the argon laser to lift fingerprints with the use of nihydrin fumes. Oh, right. This is 1976, wow. right? The laser is 16 years old at that time yeah. because it wasn't developed until 1960. And you were working in the UK in the NHS? I was working in the UK, yes, yes. Right, okay. And uh, I I get to Japan and there's this first lecture. Well, nobody knew what laser was. So uh, they gave us a little introductory lecture, What is Laser?, given by a Dr. Toshio Oshiro. Right. Uh, he was and still is um, a plastic surgeon, but he was one of the main pioneers of laser surgery in Japan. And what was he using the laser for? Well, he had, he had only two lasers. He had an argon laser and he had a ruby laser. And with these two lasers, he was removing enormous birthmarks uh, large hemifacial hemangiomas, the port wine stain, um, and also melanogenic birthmarks, uh, so-called bathing trunk nevi, right. which uh, cover a large portion of the body. But with these two lasers, he was achieving fantastic results so the first part of his lecture was what is lasers so that was you know the basic science laser generation etc and then the second part was he showed some of his results and I was astounded you know I I thought my heavens I've got to talk to this man you know so I said can I meet Dr Oshiro yeah surey so we met and of course Funnily enough, we went drinking. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Any whiskey involved?
2: Uh, it, sake. There, there was uh. actually sake that that, yeah. that, that <laughs> night, yeah. hot sake. Yeah. And uh, to cut a long story short, he kind of took me under his wing, and all my spare time, apart from the course that I was I was on, I spent in his laboratory or in his clinic. Mm. And at the end of Two weeks he said Grenchang. Everybody in Japan calls me Grenchang. What does that you mean? Know, it means dear little Glenn. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Grenchang, you you not stay uh, you not go back to UK. You stay with me in my laboratory, <laughs> walk with Reza. Yeah. And I went Oh okay. <laughs> so and that sounds was, better than
0: the NHS. And, and
2: that was that. Bye bye. <laughs> in Scotland, and you were in Scotland at the time, were you? No, I was down in Brighton. Oh, Brighton, yeah, right. Really. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. And presumably you didn't have a wife? At uh, that stage, I had no wife. Right. No, okay. So that was no. an interesting
1: <laughs> conversation, wasn't <laughs> it? Honey, uh, guess what? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not coming home. <laughs> Should have gone, great, great.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that was it, you know, and, and I, I did a course in photobiology. Oshiro put me through. Uh, in Keo uh, University in Tokyo. And that both grounded me in the light side of medicine and also uh, grounded me in my Japanese. Mm. Uh, so uh, after that, I worked with him in his laboratory and uh, in his clinic. And that also uh, started me on on the laser therapy side of things because obviously that was photosurgery where we were deliberately creating damage to achieve the clinical effect. But um, we had this this very interesting happenstance. One of his patients, a very attractive lady, had terrible post-herpetic neuralgia which comes after people have had herpes simplex at some time in their life. And then later on, particularly uh, uh, when they're older, um, they get this terrible rash and pain mm-hmm. uh, across the intercostals usually, although there's, there's d- different types, but she had it across her chest area she couldn't wear a bra she was in constant pain um and and she was escalating her pain medication so she had decided that she was going to commit suicide but before doing that she wanted this birthmark on her chest removed she had quite a large port wine stain on her chest so ochang, Dr. Oshiro, was removing this, and by the time the third treatment came around, her post herpetic neuralgia had gone Totally, and, and yeah. we thought, mm, why is this so of course in this was this was round about nineteen late seventy eight early seventy nine um no internet, no uh, searches, no web searches. It was into KEO University Library and thunder through all the journals, and and I found some interesting papers by uh, 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 I think he he was um, radiologist, professor of radiology in Semmelweis University in Budapest, hmm. uh, Professor Endre Mester, and he had done some initial experiments using the ruby laser to check that laser was not carcinogenic Mm. and his way of checking was he took a large number of mice he shaved the backs of the mice and then he zapped one group with the ruby uh, pretty low dose and the others were sham irradiated so control group and he found that there was no laser, there was no carcinogenic change, none whatsoever. But those that were treated with the ruby laser, their hair grew back completely and much more quickly than in the other group. Mm. Right. So he surmised that there must be some, some side effect uh, from laser that didn't involve heat uh, and therefore, he, he then um, found a, a, a laser called the helium neon laser, the HeNe, which gives red visible red light. And he used that at very low, low energies to treat uh, vasculogenic ulcers in the lower limbs, torpid ulcers, right? And um, it was, the, the number of patients was quite staggering. It was somewhere in the region of 1,600 wow. patients. And of these 1,600, 90% or more, I can't remember the exact figure, but ni- about 92%, 93%, they ulcers healed. Hmm. And these are... You know, chronic ulcers, Mm. ulcers that had been there for a minimum of one year and probably much, much more with no sign of healing. And most of these people will just be dressed every day by a nurse and struggle on their whole life. Correct. Standard care, best standard care, debridement, etc. Some of them were vasculogenic, some of them were diabetic. You know, there's a whole load of etiologies for for that kind of ulcer, but they, they healed. And the interesting thing was that within three to four weeks contralateral ulcers started to heal well that's amazing in those that had healed before so this was in this, this paper was published in 1969 <laughs> so you know this, this was the real start of phototherapy mm-hmm. so we call professor the late professor mester he's the godfather of, of photosurgery, a uh, photophototherapy. <laughs> Just so we can orientate the listeners who, you know, maybe don't
0: fully understand what a laser is, what actually is happening? How are you generating
2: that energy and what is it? Well, laser. Is an acronym in a hundred words or less? <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> um, it's an acronym, yes. and it stands for light amplification by stimulated emission of radiation. Mm-hmm. I prefer laser. I think. <laughs> it's yeah, uh, you know, um, which tells you nothing. <laughs> but basically, light consists of photons, little packets of of energy. And each photon has certain characteristics. It has its own energy, and it has its own wavelength. Uh, and wavelength is is measured by the the, sine, the full sine curve of, of that of that photon's wave, right? Can you give sort of an analogy of how to understand what wavelength is? Right. If if you can think of um, think of the sea. Uh, away from the land, and you have this undulation of peaks and troughs, yes, if you take one full cycle, one full peak, and one full trough and and you measure how uh, far it is from the beginning to the end, yeah. that gives you the wavelength okay right and and wavelength tells us first of all, is the light visible or invisible. Mm-hmm. Right Because we have ultraviolet light, which is invisible, we have visible light from blue through the colors of the rainbow to red, yeah. uh, which is uh, round about um, the measurement is seven hundred nanometers for red, four hundred nanometers for blue, and then beyond seven hundred nanometers, we have infrared, yeah so that 's the first thing wavelength tells us. The second thing it it tells us is if it 's visible light, what is the color. Mm-hmm. So lasers use a single wavelength. They use, uh, the centre of a laser is called the medium. Mm -hmm. And the medium usually gives its name to the laser. For example, carbon dioxide gas gives us the CO2, the ruby crystal gives us the ruby laser, and so on. And the atomic structure of the medium determines the wavelength that the laser is going to produce. So basically what happens is we bombard the medium with some kind of stimulation. Mm -hmm. It could be light, a flash lamp, that's the solid state lasers like the ruby, or it can be electricity, and that's for the CO2 and other gas-based lasers. And this bombardment of energy increases the energy level of the photons in the medium. And Einstein, Albert Einstein, uh, came up with the, the, the theory of uh, uh, stimulated emission of radiation. But before we stimulate it, we get spontaneous emission of radiation. When, when uh, atoms become overexcited, the outer... Uh, atoms consist of the center uh, uh, with protons and neutrons and then the electrons whizzing around the outside. When the energy of the electrons is boosted they go into a higher energy level but they don't stay there. They drop back again very quickly and in dropping back they release a photon. Mm. It doesn't matter whether they're stimulated by light or whether they're stimulated by electricity the this this uh, spontaneous emission of 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 energy always is a photon and the wavelength the color uh, depends on the material of the medium so these photons then zip off through the 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 medium and they find other excited photons and they bash into the electron and that stimulates the emission of a photon exactly the same mm-hmm. So we we end up with two, with four, with 16, with 355 billion of these things, all of the same wavelength, all wandering through space at exactly in step, in time and in space. That's called phase. So the light from a laser has a characteristic called coherence. And coherence consists of three elements. Uh, it consists of monochromaticity, which means just one colour, uh, or one wavelength, because we can't say infrared is a colour. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, the, the photons are marching through space just like an army, exactly in step, in time and in space. That's called phase. And furthermore, because of the characteristics of the laser cavity where the medium lives it's parallel it's called collimation so when you think of a laser pointer um, you point a laser pointer at the wall and you get a spot of a certain size you point it away in the distance and you find that spot doesn't change very much yeah that's your parallel beam mm-hmm. so that's laser energy which means that all of the energy in that beam has the same wavelength uh, with the photons marching at the same speed exactly together. So the potential power of laser makes it, uh, for, for example, a 5 milliwatt laser actually produces more power when it's focused than the sun. Hmm. Right? So this is, this is the potential for the use of laser in surgery. Right, Mm. Uh, Because obviously when light is absorbed, it creates heat. You you know, if you're wearing a dark suit or a dark dress on uh, a summer's day, you get hot. If you're wearing light-coloured clothes, you stay cool longer because the dark is absorbing the light and it's transferring itself into heat. Yes. So the light heat uh, transfer is how we use laser in surgery. Okay. You know, the, the heat generated reaches 100 degrees Celsius and the tissue just boils and you, you have um, coagulation. Ablation. Or ablation. Well, various, various stages. You know, you have protein denaturation, then you have coagulation and then you have vaporization with ablation. Yeah. Mm. But that's laser surgery. Yes. However... That's not where the photons stop. If, if you look at a typical laser impact, uh, a surgical laser like a CO2, you'll find there is a layer of carbonization because the temperature has gone over 200 degrees Celsius. Underneath the carbonization, or, or, or the carbonization lines a crater that's your vaporization or, or um, ablation. Underneath that, the photons continue on, but obviously at a lower level, and that's coagulation, where the temperature uh, doesn't go any higher than 85, 90, and is about from about 68 degrees Celsius. That's the tissue cooking. Below that, the tissue breaks up a little bit. That's called protein degradation. And then from temperatures of 40 to about uh, 52, 53, we have protein degradation denaturation when uh, our collagen that makes up our skin separates Mm. Uh, and then when it cools down it rejoins together that's the basis of tissue welding using laser and then under that we have the interesting area of photobiomodulation where the skin temperature hardly rises at all if it rises Mm. but the photons are delivering their energy And that energy has to go somewhere. So it goes into the cells and the cells take this energy and add it to their energy pool and they become activated. And as long as the temperature doesn't exceed 40 degrees at most, and and most laser therapy systems there is no appreciable rise in temperature, but these cells are now activated. So Several things can happen. If the cells are damaged or compromised, they will be repaired, either by themselves or with a little help from their friends. Uh, if they have a job to do, for example, fibroblasts to make collagen, then they will do that job more efficiently and faster. If there are not enough cells, then they will proliferate or more cells will be recruited in to do the job. So one, two, or all three of these things can happen in photoactivated cells. And the end result is a clinical reaction, uh, a, a viable clinical effect, but with no heat and with no damage. And that is basically the difference between laser therapy and laser surgery. Right <laughs> so with this this lady, whose pain disappeared, and having found out that Professor Andry Mester had healed. Ulcers using very, very low levels of, of laser energy. Uh, Oshiro and I surmised that the argon laser light, some of it was being absorbed in the blood because blue green is absorbed very heavily in, in blood. But some of the photons were passing through and were deactivating the stressed nerves that were causing the, the post herpetic neuralgia. So we thought, I wonder if we took specifically low levels, not surgical levels of light, would that produce the same effect? And we found that it did. And this is where the uh, light therapy This comes is on. where low level laser therapy came from right now the the term low-level laser therapy didn't come along and and for a few years um, I worked with Oshiro till 82 uh, and then I got headhunted to America to a company called Laserscope but Oshiro and I corresponded all this time when I was in the states in in California And when I say corresponded, I mean corresponded. Handwritten letters. There was no email. (laughs) If we wanted to send something urgently, we could use that wonderful thing, Telex. Yeah. (laughs) Because there was no (laughs) fax. We've got
1: like 70% of our listeners going, what? What is Telex? I don't even know what that is.
2: (laughs) It's, it's, it was a wonderful machine where you, you typed on a keyboard and it kind of punched little holes. And then there was another machine at the other end that received the electrical impulses and punched more little holes. Right. And it went chatter, 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 right. punched keys and you got a message. Right. So this is where you get BTW. Yeah. Uh, B, BR, you know by uh-huh. the way yeah. best regards because with telex each keystroke was money <laughs>
1: yeah right so
2: it cost therefore shorthand was was developed so okay. that, that was that was telex sounds like
1: um like a, a version of uh te- <laughs> a telegram or morse well, code it is yeah. i mean this this yeah. is
2: what it was it was basically your own personal little telegram yeah. machine yeah <laughs> That's with cool. a, a receptor in, in, in your, wherever the office is that you're sending to. So we, we corresponded and, and we kept up our interest in, in laser therapy versus laser surgery. The company I was working with in the States was called Laserscope uh, and they, they developed the first green laser, the first KTP532 system. Well, I worked with them till 87 when they went public and I decided, right, that, that I've done my bit for this lot, and went back to Japan, where uh, Oshiro welcomed me with open arms, and we had been working on some concepts uh, about laser therapy. So, straight away, we started to write a book. Uh, and in nineteen ninety-eight the book was published. It was called Low Level Laser Therapy, a practical introduction. Mm. Toshi Oshiro and R. Glenn Collarhead. <laughs> and that's where the term low level laser therapy comes from. Right. You know, I, I, I can say proudly that's my my terminology. Shortened to LLLT. Uh, and if if you look now on PubMed, which is a a searching site for the National Library of Medicine in, in the USA, they index all the good journals. And if you take LLLT as a search term, you will find, and I did this just the other day for a talk that I'm, I'm doing at Cosmedicon, you'll find over 6,600 hits wow. for LLLT. Yeah. So it's no longer black magic, you know, and, and, and many, many, many of these hits are positive, showing positive effects for low levels of laser or light energy Mm. because now we have leds well that was my question so
0: most australians listening to this and people around the world they will have heel lights or omnilux or those types of devices right right the llt is
2: effectively that yes well now uh, because leds graduated, if you like, into the field of medicine, um, uh, we decided that the term should be low-level light therapy instead of low-level laser therapy. But they're still L, yes, uh, still light. I mean, the L of laser is light, so the whole thing ties together very nicely. Yeah. But, you know, uh, LEDs are um, very interesting because they're much uh much more efficient than laser mm-hmm. they take very little electricity usually in the region of 3 to 5 watts and they pro- uh, volts sorry and they produce enormous amounts of light So they're incredibly efficient. Lasers, I I guess the most efficient laser is probably the CO2, and it works like about 12% efficiency. Mm. So lasers are actually very inefficient devices. Now, the thing about LEDs was when Oshiro and I started, we looked at LEDs, but in the late 70s and 80s, Early to mid 80s, LEDs were a bit of a joke. You know, they were bright, they were cheap, they were cheerful, uh, they had wide, wide divergence, uh, but they had wide wave band, not wavelength. Mm. So you could find a red LED, which went from about 620 nanometers to about 680 nanometers, so not a specific wavelength. All that changed in 1998 when uh, Professor Harry Whelan, working in NASA, the National, Administration, sp- sorry, National Space Administration Agency, in their space medicine laboratory, developed the NASA LED, mm. which was to be used on the space station in their hydroponic unit. Therefore, it had to be stable. The output power needed to be stable. It's up in the space station, so you can't just nip out to the store and get another <laughs> LED. There's no bunnings there. Yeah. <laughs> <Therefore>, <laughs> you know, it had to be dependable. <laughs> and it had to have a specific wavelength to grow plants. Yeah. So they were blue uh, to encourage the chlorophyll in the plants, you know, to produce whatever they were they were growing. However, uh, Prof Whelan knew that this is not a useful wavelength for us, uh, because it doesn't penetrate very deeply into tissue. So he very quickly developed an infrared and a red LED. And he published his first paper, I think it was in 19, uh, sorry, 2001. He produced a, a paper on wound healing with LED. And that was when LEDs became of age, and quite frankly, uh, even then I was highly sceptical. So I was talking about serendipity. <laughs> right? I, I went back. I was working with Oshiro, and uh, this, you know, that was from ni- nineteen eighty-seven. So. In 2002, early 2002, a friend asked if I would help him with a project. He, he had to give a talk. This is in Japan. Uh, uh, he had to give a talk on laser therapy and what were his favorite wavelengths. So, sure, hmm. I wrote his talk, right? And then he said, well, Grinchang, why don't you just come and you can answer questions if anyone asks questions? <laughs> I said, aye, okay, no problem. And this was the uh, CEO and the, the chief financial officer of a company called um, uh, Phototherapeutics Limited in, based in Faisley in the UK. And they were the Omnilux manufacturers. Right. And I sat and I thought, oh, here we go, LED, ah, yes, ah, yes. But, you know, by the end of the talk... I had totally changed my mind. The science was first class. And the, the CEO came up to me afterwards and she grabbed me by the lapels and she said, I know who you are. I said, oh yeah. <laughs> she said, you were nodding. I said, yes, I was. I have to say yes. That was really interesting. And she said, right, uh, would you like to come and serve in our scientific advisory board? Yeah. I said, yeah, sure. But by the end of 2002, I was their clinical director. Wow. <laughs> so that was me into the Omnilux and into LLLT with, in, with, with LEDs. The Australian connection came along at the end of of um, two thousand and two. My first overseas trip for phototherapeutics was here. I came at the request of a company called True Solutions, who were the uh, the the um, uh, sellers, the distributors for OmniLux, and I think it's due to to their. Aggressive uh, educational ideas that LEDs have become so well accepted here in Australia than anywhere else in the world. Really? So we're the biggest market? You're the biggest market. And, uh, I mean, this, this, is, this is obviously good because LEDs are good. You know, they're not rubbish. Yep. Well, some of them are not rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and what they did was they uh, got this concept of educational evenings it would be a three hour, I'd do a three hour presentation. I'd do basics of light. I'd do light, tissue, basic interaction, uh, transmission, reflection, scatter, absorption. Um, I'd then do basics of tissue, uh, skin, in basic anatomy. And then light tissue interaction, and then into the clinical side of LEDs, so they were highly educational and quite high level, you know, and at, at first, LED, LED systems, the omnilux, was very much salon driven. Mm. but gradually, spas, much higher end spas, the meDI spa, etc, and some clinics started to appear. At these masterclasses. So that by the time 2009 came around, the Omnilux was very, very well established clinically and it was being used in plastic surgery clinics after uh, treatment etc to speed up the wound healing process so i guess during that time uh, i I became kind of synonymous with led so mr led was was glenn yes (laughs) i wanted to
0: take you back because obviously you've been immersed in this world of lasers and lights and that was your thing but the the community and the doctors outside of that did they think it was a bit of a joke at the start yes Right. And how yes. did you, um,
2: you know, how did you change the attitude? I think it's just uh, plugging on at the science and showing results. And, and of course, um, we cannot have good medicine without good science. Mm. And we can't have good science without good proof. So, getting good scientific papers based on LED was one of the Omnilux uh, first steps. They were the first LED company to get really good published data yeah. and these papers were stepping stones mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know they, they then showed, uh, for example, their, the paper on acne. Is a pivotal paper showing that with blue light and red light used alternately uh, over four weeks, we can actually shift acne with light alone yeah. and nothing else. And
0: explaining that concept to patients, and David, you've mm. got a uh, heel light in your mm. clinic.
2: Yes.
1: I've got a few I of
0: them. <laughs> I still think uh, a lot of people kind of think, what? I'm going to lie under this light with no invasive procedure and yeah. improve my skin it's ha- it's a hard sell
2: sometimes it's a, it's a hard sell but once people have experienced it yeah they're they're sold yeah. you know because it definitely works. I mean, it won't cure every acne patient, but um, FDA, the American FDA, allowed us through our uh, papers that we, we we published to claim that we can treat uh, up to 85% clearance in up to 78% of mm, patients. Which is huge. Which is huge, yeah. yeah. And when you consider that means no isotretinoin, no liver damage, you know, no skin damage, no, no antibiotics, no side effects, etc., mm. etc. And contrary to that, beneficial. Mm. The blue light only kills the Propionibacterium acnes, the causative bacterium of, of acne. If you don't combine that with anything, it will come back because acne is multifactorial. Uh, you have inflammation, you have stress, you have hormonal changes. There's a whole host of things that that go into acne, and and it's a vicious circle disease. Mm. It is an autoimmune disease with uh, skin homing T cells turning rogue, mm. rogue T cells, <laughs> <laughs> and we 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 kill them, <laughs> and that's where the red light came in. Right, and then again, this was my first task with with omnilux the the boss a lovely lady called sue d'arcy she said you know we we're, we're we're having great success with blue light in skin types 1 and 2 acne but in indonesia uh, in japan we're having skin darkening so solve it <laughs> <laughs> so once again it was turned to the literature now of course it was search online and I found some interesting papers where blue was being combined with red, but it, they were using it together, but they were still getting very, very good results. And And I thought to myself, well, you know, using them together, what if we separate them because it's two different targets? The blue is targeting porphyrin and only porphyrins because when P. acnes is active, it has porphyrins inside and the blue light hits the porphyrins, activates them and they kill the P. acnes through apoptosis, through Mm. oxidative stress. However, we're not dealing with the inflammation, we're not dealing with the wound because some of these big suppurative pustules, you know, they create a horrible damage in the dermis. So this is where the red light came in. And I thought to myself, well, why don't we do the blue and then wait a couple of days and do the red and then repeat that over three to four weeks. Yeah. And that's now the established protocol. Mm. But instead of the red, we found that the infrared was actually more effective than the red. So now we recommend the blue with the 830. Mm. So that that's where that protocol came from. Mm. Amazing. So how does... How does the LED
1: light or the laser know what it's targeting in the skin? Is that the wavelength of lights attracted to certain targets? How does that
2: work? That You just hit the okay. nail right in the oh, head. Okay. Yes. Does ever get a job now? <laughs> well, I'm moving he, to Japan. I think, I think he already has a good one. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So it, it's targeting. Yes. Uh, the thing about wavelength is it, it is for... Even, even for laser surgery, wavelength is incredibly important because wavelength determines two things. It determines the chromophore, the target, and it also determines how deeply the light penetrates intrinsically into tissue. With laser surgery, it's not so important because you just bombard the tissue with high energy and you blast your way down to the target. Mm. But with phototherapy, with LLLT, you don't blast. So uh, from blue, 400 nanometers, through uh, green, round about 500 nanometers, through yellow, round about 590 nanometers, there's very, very little penetration into tissue yes, epidermis, and perhaps the very superficial papillary dermis. Mm. You jump only 40 nanometers to red and you get 10,000 times better penetration. Well, so red light penetrates deeply. Mm. Infrared light at 830 is the deepest penetrating wavelength. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that is what determines the target and then cells also have their own favorite wavelength. Um, Porphyrin is not a cell but it is a a chromophore and it likes 450 nanometers blue. Um, The uh, cell membrane, elements in the cell membrane like the near-infrared, 800 to about 900, with specific targets at 830. Uh, The the centre component of the cell, the mitochondrion, which is the energy factory of the cell, it has a component called cytochrome C oxidase, and that loves red light and yellow light. So these are the, the specific targets for certain wavelengths. And we've got um, products in the marketplace
1: like broadband Light or IPL, which from my understanding, correct me if I'm wrong, they they put out like a a spectrum of light. And how, how does this differ in terms of like efficacy, safety? Is one better than the other or they're just different? Things for different applications. Or? Well, um, I
2: think your know, BBL broadband light and and uh, IPLs are more or less the same, mm-hmm. um, as you as you said. It's a broad spectrum; they're polychromatic light, mm-hmm. and in order to give them semi selectivity, manufacturers provide filters, so they have cut off filters to cut off the shorter wavelengths. So for the for example, if you have a blue filter, it will give you semi-blue light, but still behind the blue light, there's all the green, the yellow, the red, right, and some infrared. You then add a green filter if you want to treat blood vessels with IPL or BBL. And that then gives you targeting of the blood vessels, uh, or, or, and, and then, uh, sorry, green for, for melanin, uh, r- b- yellow for for blood vessels. So by adding these cut-off filters, you can turn this polychromatic beam into something semi-selective, aiming for specific targets. Mm. But with laser and with uh, narrowband LEDs, you already have that specificity built in, mm. which is their big advantage. Okay. So going back to the Omnilux, which was the, you know, the original
0: LED and now we have the heel light here in Australia. Yes. For someone who's never seen that, what what
2: does it look like and what is it doing? Why would we use it? Right. Um, they're, they're both planar array mm. systems. In other words, they have flat panels uh, which are hinged so that you can target a carved uh, area with equal light intensity yeah. in each of these panels there are leds Um, The LEDs are mounted in uh, a circuit board and more often than not, the circuit board is coated so that it will actually reflect energy that's being reflected from the tissue back into the tissue. We call it photon recycling. Yes. (laughs) Very green. (laughs) So you'd be laying on a bed with a machine either over your face, over your
0: wound, over your body. Yes, yes, exactly. And from memory, the Omnilux is much brighter
2: um, right. Well, I think you were thinking of the red, the Omnilux mm. Revive. Right, no, okay. But the, the heel light red is equally bright. Okay, right. right. It, it, the visible is, is bright. The, in the case of heel light, uh, with the infrared, which of course we can't see, mm-hmm. um, we added a yellow. We added 590 nanometers because we wanted to target specifically the epidermis. Yeah. And for the first one minute... All the patient sees is the yellow yes. cycling across each panel of five panels. Um, then, after that minute, the eight thirty cuts in, but they can't see the eight thirty. Ah, that's why it gets hotter. That's why it, it, it gets a little bit warmer. Yeah, I noticed yes. that. Okay. No, no. Now, the the warmth, interestingly, is not from the LED. Not from the light. It's from the physical properties of the LEDs. The, the, the LEDs heat up. Ah, okay. The modern LEDs heat up more than the old-fashioned domed LEDs. And as a result, the circuit boards become quite hot, and therefore it's a radiant heat. You'll find if you go back to about 17 to 20 centimetres, that heat exponentially drops away Mm, but some people like it yeah i like it i love it feels like on a beach yeah (laughs) exactly
0: well the reason i love the heel light apart from you know makes your skin look great it's just so relaxing right is there
2: any research into that yes there is um the relaxation comes from activation of our autonomic Nervous system. We have uh, two parts to that system the sympathetic and the parasympathetic system. If you are stressed, then your sympathetic system is in dominance. You have blood vessels that are constricted, you have uh, nerves asking. Uh, muscles to be tense. Yeah. Right? You get tension, headaches. That's what happens when I work with David. So <laughs> then I have to give you a free LED.
1: <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: but no, genuinely you can get on there. I think the, the, the shortest cycle is 13 minutes. Oh, and that, that's with the yeah with the with the dual head yeah, yes.
2: it's 13.5 yeah, yeah. and
0: yeah. Uh, you can have a power nap and you wake up feeling restored it's
2: incredible that's because of the parasympathetic system yeah the parasympathetic is our rest and relax mm. system the sym- the sympathetic system is our fight or flight System: yep. fight or flight or rest and relax yes. and uh, when you're under the 830 head uh, basically your parasympathetic system comes into dominance your blood vessels relax and vasodilate your uh, motor nerves relax and you relax yeah. and, and I would say that uh, in, in a good 85% of patients they go to sleep yes Mm, right and wake up as you say feeling really refreshed yeah it's incredible It's good for hangovers as well jake isn't it oh there <laughs> I, I i actually did some a,
1: a magnificent hangover cure
2: <laughs> <laughs> there you go another indication
1: so speaking of indications what what are all the amazing things that, that leds can do in terms of i was you know I was reading on um an article written on you a few days ago and you were talking about things like people with um like cerebral trauma um rosacea like i've got some lower back pain and sometimes I put it on there and it helps. It seems to be no matter where you point it, it benefits you somehow.
2: (laughs) Well, this is one of the the benefits and one of the problems because when you tell people everything that it can do, they go, nah, that's not right. Come on. But unfortunately, it's true. So what we normally do is we limit it. (laughs) Yes. We say what it's really good for is wound healing. Yes. Any kind of wound, acute, chronic, surgical, or traumatic. Mm. Uh, It's great for ulcers. It's great for diabetic foot, right? Um, It's great for pain relief. It can relieve acute pain, chronic pain, musculogenic pain, uh, neurogenic pain. And these are the main. Yeah. Uh, applications, but of course you're you're dead right. Rosacea responds really well. Eczema responds brilliantly. Atopic dermatitis, you know the the list is actually extensive, quite, yeah. it, and and it gets bigger. The more people use it for, the more they find that they can use it for. But the big problem then is that you know uh, how do you prove it? Yeah. And, and this is where published papers become very, very important to show the legitimate application of legitimate systems because you probably know there are a bunch of LED systems out in in the market here in Australia. Some of them with lovely twinkling lights and flashing colours, etc., etc. Basically... The, the colors that work are blue for acne, red for photodynamic therapy activation and a bit of hair restoration, and 830 uh, or there arounds near infrared for everything else. Yeah, right. right. Now, you find systems offering green, you find them offering yellow, <laughs> but green and yellow are fine in their way. Green is actually quite beneficial for pigment because it will only reach. The epidermis. Mm-hmm. Yellow is beneficial for the health of the epidermis because it will only reach the epidermis, particularly the stratum basale, the basal layer of our epidermis, where our mother keratinocytes and our melanocytes live. Um, but that's that's the only depth that they reach, and you'll find them saying yellow is great for relaxation. No. Incorrect, yeah. because it doesn't get deep enough. And David, you, you're,
1: you know, your heel like You're mm. using that every day. Oh, we're for... using it for everything. Like, <laughs> I mean, one of the big things is um, yeah, patients that have come and seen you. But for example, to have cosmetic injectables, and they might have a bruise, or they might have some swelling. Right. If we getting them to come. They might have one immediately post treatment. Yes. They might come in the next day if they get a really bad bruise. They've got an event coming up. It just seems to really speed up. Um, that healing process. We use it for like an array of skin treatments. Yes. Um, it just seems to be something you can use as, and that's one of the questions I wanted to ask you. It seems to be a device that is great as an as a standalone and as an adjunct to a myriad of different
2: procedures. I think you again, you've struck the nail straight mm. upon the head. Um, my own feeling is, yes, it's a very good standalone system, but mm. I think it's main. Attraction is the adjunctive mm. application, and and you mentioned using it before and using it after. I think this is this is a really interesting concept. Uh, we call it preemptive LED LLLT where forty eight or twenty four hours, forty eight to twenty four, before a procedure, you bring your patient in, you treat them, and they go home, but in that. 24 hours the treatment with the 830 has activated the wound healing cells right. and they're now ready to work so then you do your injection or you do your surgery or you do your fractional whatever and the macrophages are all there ready to gobble up the rubbish the mast cells have degranulated and they're getting ready to call in all the helping cells and it really makes life easier. And then you hit them again afterwards and you take away all the side effects. When you say after, straight after or the yes, day after? straight after. Okay, that's what if we're If it's do it. something serious, I mean if it's a, like, like a, a fairly aggressive fractional treatment with a CO2 or an erbium or something similar, then we would say uh, immediately after, the day after, three days after. Mm-hmm. And if it's something really serious, like a, a, a surgical intervention, um, a mastopexy, or some kind of breast surgery, then we would say immediately after, uh, 48, 24, uh, 72, and then twice a week for three weeks or so thereafter. Mm. Yeah. And is
1: there any. Contraindications or things that can go wrong—I've never seen or heard, but I guess
2: it's responsible for me, for me to ask for all the people listening if there's anything that can go wrong. I think with the eight thirty in particular, um, there's no contraindication. Okay. Oh well, I mean the, the usual—you don't. Think about using it on active cancer, for example, because mm-hmm. it'll make things grow. <laughs> well, well actually, you know, it doesn't, okay. But, but that's you know, that's under research at okay. the moment. Uh, if, if uh, on the other hand, some of the really nice literature that's appearing now shows that people who have had breast reduction, a mammoplasty or a, a mamopexy for breast cancer. And, and have received radiotherapy, develop radiodermatitis, which is a horrible uh, disease, a mm. horrible condition, painful, suppurating. And L-E-D-L-L-L-T works brilliantly on that with no sign of any regrowth of cancer, right? So it's safe to use... After an oncologist has declared that a a previous cancer site is clear, it's good for oral mucositis, which is another chemotherapy side effect. And that's applied on the face, not on the gums or on the mucosa. It's done through the skin transdermally because 830 will penetrate centimetres into tissue should be able to put these into people's
1: showers. I can see these being in people's <laughs> homes. You get up in the morning, you have a shower, you turn on your LED while you're in the shower. and I want one my bed. Yeah. in the shower. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like something you could have at home and just do it every day for everything.
2: Well, you know, every day, I think it, it would depend on the LED system. Now, yeah. you know that masks have become very popular yeah, LED Yes, to toilet paper too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, these I think you can use every day. Yes. Uh, I think you need to use these every day. But if you're looking at the heel light, for example, um, they're much more beneficial if you use them every other day okay. because you need to let the cells work on the information that they've received. It, it, it won't do any harm if you use it every day and you'll feel fine. I know that there are some people who, like their Omnilux, revive the red one every day (laughs) and they swear by it. But if they were just to wait, maybe use it Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, they would find the result would be even better than if they were using it every day. And the same applies to heal light. Mm. Sounds a bit like the gym. You need a rest period for
0: that
1: tissue to sort of relax and regenerate before you go again.
2: Yes, yes. Yeah.
1: So, talking about the helite specifically, I mean I know you've worked on Omnilux and and a few other companies, but what what is it about the Omnilux, sorry, the the helite that's different I guess from its competitors or predecessors? Like where, what is it that sort of makes it that next generation?
2: Well, um I th- I think the 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 big difference uh, first of all they're very similar, mm-hmm. right? I mean what i learned from omnilux ha- has transferred to heel Light. Uh, and um it's like heel Light on omnilux on steroids right <laughs> Light. yes it, a larger application area um of course the design is is much uh, nicer looking and more clinic friendly. You can whip it around the clinic on its little wheels without any problem at all. Then it has technology which Omnilux didn't have, but if I had continued to work with them, they would have <laughs> yes. had, right? Because uh, Heel Light was my first project when I went to uh, the company, mm. right? And, and as you know, it's called Heel Light 2. I yes. was going to ask what happened to number one. <laughs> number one was like R2-D2 with a hairdryer on the top. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> horrible looking system. Yeah, right. When I saw it, I burst into laughter <laughs> and people in Lutronic were really... Quite mortified <laughs> because they were very proud of this <laughs> this thing. It's like Frankenstein, is it? Oh God! <laughs> and it, you know, it, it it was immobile. It you couldn't. It, it was designed for the face. It wasn't designed for anywhere else on the body. Mm. You know, so that was my first task was to produce He Light Two, and our CEO Hel Young Huang, wonderful man he gave me that as my first my first job from the bottom up so i got an led team uh, i got a professional design team and uh, it took us a year right so it wasn't an overnight design or uh, electronics uh, discovery it, it took a year of testing laboratory testing testing different wavelengths testing different LEDs and at the end of that year so at the end of 2010 we had Helite 2 and basically it it hasn't changed there we haven't i mean some cosmetic differences but nothing in terms of the technology There are two sets of technology that that set the system aside. The first one uh, is the the way the LEDs are spaced and placed and the way that we concentrate the light using what we call optical lens array technology, which is basically um, an optically clear plate. uh, And if you look at your heel light, you'll see this plate with all these little bumps in it. These are semi-collimating lenses because you can't collimate led because it's non-coherent it's not like laser which you can focus and and make parallel etc etc leds you can't but you can squeeze the light a little bit you can because they're divergent so, so you effectively can you're focusing s- the rays squeeze the light So not really focusing so much as as trying to get the rays a little bit Together, mm-hmm. but you can't focus an LED. Okay, all you will see is a little LED, yeah. right? Whereas if you focus at a laser, it's pinpoint. It's, it's pinpoint, and by God, that's that's hot. Yes, <laughs> right. Um, so that was the, the the first thing is our optical lens array technology, which uh, squeezes the photons together. Mm-hmm. The, the, the other thing is the way that we've placed the LEDs and the quality of the LEDs means we maximise uh, an interesting phenomenon called photon interference. Each photon, as I said, has its own energy and of course it has its own little energy field because it's electromagnetic energy. And unlike laser, where the photons are all orderly and marching along in time, in LEDs, the photons come out any old way. Yes, they come out with directionality. They come out going in a particular direction, but within that direction, they're all over the place. So when we take several LEDs and we put them together with a specific distance between them, we maximise the intersection of these beams of multiple non-coherent photons. Mm -hmm. When the photons collide an interesting phenomenon occurs whereby it gives them that little bit of more directionality. It doesn't make them go faster because they're traveling at the speed of light, but it makes them go in a, in the same direction better. So we increase... The intensity without increasing the power, mm. and this is what I think makes Heal Light. Uh, the all of them, all, the 830, the 633, and the 415. They all have this uh, Olat optical lens array technology. And the the really interesting thing is, and this has been published uh, in, in in a journal. We measured the intensity at one centimeter from the LEDs and we called that 100%. Then at 5 centimetres, we found it was 105%. At 10 centimetres, we found it was about 112%. And at 17 centimetres, we found it was 118% of the initial irradiance. Hmm. So this was measured on, on, on an independent uh, government near-field irradiance monitor, very complex piece of equipment. Uh, and and it, it's the, the theory is that the larger the irradiator, the greater the distance you can be from a small target. Now, you, you think of the size of the heel light head and the size of our face, right? So really, you can actually have that head back at 30 centimetres and still get a lot of benefit from it. What, so, this, what is the uh, like optimum 17 distance? to 20. Okay. Okay, because... If you have it too close, then... You will get more of the heating effect, although it's not a heating effect from the light. It's a heating effect from the a mechanical heating effect, if you like, from the LEDs and the printed circuit board. But you're not maximizing the irradiance, hmm. uh, and so because there's a common 20. concept that you know the closer the closer you are, the, you better. Are, the better.
0: Yes. No.
1: No. Okay. No, well, no, we have no, learned no. something for sure. <laughs> a little,
0: um, yeah. Could I fire some random <coughs> questions at you? Because okay. we, we put out uh, to our listeners that you're going to come on as a guest and everyone got very excited. Um, I'm just going to try and pick a few. There was too many. So this is from Kelly Godfrey. Um, is it completely safe? Are there
2: any side effects whatsoever that you know of? <laughs> I think the 8.30 is completely safe. Mm-hmm. Um, I think with the visible, with the 633 and the 415, you need to be careful what's on the skin and what's in the skin, mm-hmm. because they visible light can cause um, photosensitive reactions with certain materials. Mm-hmm. For example, if somebody is on um, amiodarone or any of the iodoform drugs, yeah. they are photosensitive and they'll turn bright red underneath the eight, the the 633 but they'll do nothing underneath the 830 Okay. The only photosensitizer for 8.30 is a um, substance called indocyanine green, and that's not something you'll find <laughs> in, most, uh, in most clinics.
0: Great. Uh, Kelly had one or two more questions. Can you use it on anyone, or are there any contraindications
2: such as pregnancy? Uh, this is obviously a, a, a very sensible question. We recommend that we do not irradiate anywhere near... The fetus. Not that we think it's going to cause any problems, just to be on the safe side. Yes. But somebody who's pregnant can have a photofacial and it might even benefit the fetus because what we found is a big systemic effect. As the blood is... Passing through the area that you're irradiating, it picks up some of these beneficial things that are helping the area in specific and carries it throughout the body. Hmm. This is why in Professor Mester's experiment, the contralateral ulcers healed. Because they were systemically yeah. receiving the benefits from the irradiated. That's amazing. Limb. Um, I don't know if
0: you've answered this already. How often do you recommend using the heel light for, uh, let's say, general skin rejuvenation? So fine lines, general skin maintenance, rather than specific indications. Twice a week for four weeks. Boom boom. <laughs>
2: yeah, there you go. Easy done. Uh, Twice a week for four weeks, and then. Um, Normally, maybe twelve weeks, three months or so later, do it again, yeah okay. or people can do it then once a week as or twice I mean whatever they feel like you know whatever they want to come into your clinic for <laughs> unless they have their own heel light at home yeah <laughs> yeah, uh,
0: another question from one of our sort of regular listeners Lisa Rush and Walara. Uh, why does the heel light technology pulsate with the,
2: uh, you know, the lights on the different panels sort of flicking through a sequence? Ah, that's our photo sequencing technology. That's the other technology that sets heel light aside. Mm-hmm. Um, in addition to the 830, we also have a yellow component in the 8, only in the 830 head. Uh, and that is 590 Uh, 590 I chose specifically because it doesn't penetrate and therefore it's only for the epidermis Uh, and so for the first one minute of your 13.5 minutes you'll be getting only that yellow light Mm -hmm. and uh, the The target cells are the mother keratinocytes in the stratum basale, in the basal layer, and a group of cells called the Merkel cells. And they are loaded with mitochondria, Mm. the ATP factories, adenosine triphosphate factories. And we found after that first minute that the ATP levels in the epidermis are Significantly higher, and this is obviously good for epidermal health. Yes. Then after that one minute, in comes the 830. Now, the, 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 as you said, it, it's panel by panel. There are 12 rows of LEDs in each panel, but only two of these 12 rows are by chips. Mm-hmm. They're both 830 and 590. So these two panels in each light up sequentially, one second each. There are five panels, there are 12 cycles. That's your one minute, 12 times five, sixty, right? So the power is deliberately extremely low mm. because I didn't want to upset the 830. They're working in two different ways. The 590 is targeting a photochemical reaction within the cell. It's targeting cytochrome C oxidase in the cell mitochondria. The 830, on the other hand, is targeting primarily the cell membrane to kickstart the membrane pumps, the, the potassium sodium potassium pump, to get the cell activated through that route. Mm-hmm. Now, if they happen together at the same energy level, then there could be some disturbance in the cell because one part of the cell is going... I'm the one that's being activated. And the other one's no, it's me that's being activated. And you end up, the cell going, ah, give up. Yeah. And we know this is a fact. Um, our greatest living uh, biologist, a uh, photobiologist, is a Russian professor, Tina Karu, from the Moscow Academy of Sciences. And she published a wonderful paper showing that Certain wavelengths used alone are wonderful, but when used together, retard cellular activity. So we have to be careful. My first choice for the second wavelength was red. But then I thought, no, because it penetrates too deeply. And that might just cause a lot of confusion in the deeper cells. But it's like in a shower. You're in your shower, the water is extremely hot and you think, oh, that's hot. So you crank up the cold and then the water is cold, but the hot water is still there. Mm. And this is, the, this is what the case of, of heel light is. The yellow has one minute of its own. That's its power. Then when the infrared comes in at four to five orders of magnitude more power, it simply washes out the clinical effect without compromising its own 8.30 effect. But you can see it and therefore you know something is happening. Whereas if we stopped the yellow after that one minute, everybody would think, oh, What's happened? Yeah. Oh, it's broken. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's broke. It's no working. <laughs> yeah.
0: Great. Well, that's a, a wonderful sort of juncture to, to end. Sorry to all of the listeners who. We've actually answered all the other questions. You've done it already. All right. Um, we did have a nice comment from Dr. Natasha Cook, a dermatologist here in uh, Darlinghurst. I love. Professor Calderhead and the heel light. That's all she said. <laughs> so it wasn't a question; it was just more of a an adoration. And there was no questions. I just love the heel light from M- Melissa Huvel up in Brisbane. So thanks for well, all the comments. Well, thanks to all of them
2: too from me. <laughs> Absolutely.
0: Um, so, Professor, I know you're not on sort of social media and things, but we we connected on LinkedIn. So if anyone has any questions or any doctors um, potentially thinking about, you know, purchasing a heel light or, or things like that, who can they
2: contact i they they should contact uh, here in australia they should contact advanced cosmeceuticals okay in perth all right they are our distributors and absolutely wonderful people perfect well thank you so much for your time enjoy the rest of the conference thank you very your much talk this indeed for the chance to be here i thoroughly enjoyed it many Great. thanks and have a safe trip out. is it South Korea South Korea yes well I'll I'll do my best you Ooh. know I only got here by the skin of my teeth oh yeah <laughs> because you shut your doors to people yes. from Korea the day after I arrived Ooh. fortunately I arrived a day early <laughs> Very quickly, or what I is the <laughs> situation on the ground in South Korea? Just ah, tell us. I, I think it is slowing down. Yeah. It, it, but it, it, it was exponential. It, was, um, it went from 28 to 68 to 300 to 1,000 to 2,000 to 4,000, 8,000. Wow. Right? But it's showing signs of slowing down which is good. Mm. But of course, having reached that level, it means that more and more countries are, are closing their doors. So yes. I'm, I'm going to get back okay, although I have to go back via uh, Bangkok right? <laughs> because no uh south korean airline will fly here since they can't fly anybody here yes you know they, yeah. they're not going uh, to out of the true? goodness yeah. of their hearts take us all back you know <laughs> <laughs> so uh, i'll get there but I uh, I hope things will will ease off because I start traveling again in the middle of April. All well, <laughs> right. We're, we're all hoping and praying that uh, this thing comes to an end very soon. Yes, yeah. indeed. Take some toilet roll home with you. We got a toilet roll. Yeah. Well, there, there's actually no there's no run on toilet paper in uh, it's in, an Australian in, thing. I don't know what's happened. No, it's also in Japan. Oh, really? Yeah. It went, some, somebody on television, they're wonderful for their television in Japan. Somebody on television came on saying, oh, there's all the toilet paper in Japan is made in China. There's not going to be any toilet paper. <laughs> I think <laughs> that's, in that's fact, kicked off from here, to be It's the honest. same. You know, Kleenex, mm. Japan is made in Japan. <laughs> yes, yeah.
0: fair enough. Well, keep safe. Thank you for your time again. Thank you again. And uh, have a safe trip home. Thank you. Bye. For our latest news, upcoming guests and episode topics, follow us
1: on Instagram at inside underscore aesthetics. During the week before every recording, look out for our Instagram stories as we'll give you the opportunity to submit your questions to our guests and get a shout out. You can also DM us for any other information, suggestions or guest requests.